0: You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Rick Francis. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been in a series called Following Jesus, and uh, many of you are anticipating Uh, the conclusion to following jesus and i just want to announce to you there is no conclusion to following jesus we will continue to follow jesus for eternity (laughs) and uh, in light of that I just want to encourage you, as we've looked at these incredible ways in which transformation has come to people, from the woman at the well that Matt shared with us, to Linda's the Mary of Bethany, to Nicodemus. And some of these times, transformation came instantaneously, and boom, it was was there. But do you know that whenever you experience a moment of transformation, there's always more? When, when you have that encounter with the presence of the Lord and you're transformed, you've just started. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says, but we go from glory to glory. And so there's an ever-increasing intimacy and glory and transforming effect that we have in the presence of the Holy One, in the presence of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we want to continue in that, whether it's instant or whether it's over a period of time. We want to continue to be transformed. Sometimes the transformation is kind of on our outside. It's kind of our exterior. We're starting to change a few things and we can see the manifestation and how we order our behavior. But the ongoing work inside is always operative. That's why we get tripped up by the enemy sometimes because we look at our outside and we compare it to the way we used to live and we conclude that we've made it, we've arrived. And we don't realize that no, the enemy will use pride just as well as he will sinful behavior. He will use arrogance and thinking that we've arrived and that we're something When we haven't realized in humility that He's the one that's done it. He's the one that's that's been doing the hard work on the inside. And so we want to just continue to grow and to allow transformation to just be with us and grow us and change us. What are you gonna look like next month? Five pounds thinner? Do I hear 10? <laughs> You're going to grow your hair out? Don't look for me to do that. <laughs> you know, but what are you going to look like in your walk with the Lord? See, if, if we order everything on the external side, we can, we can schedule devotional times. We can have our Bible reading plan. We can have our new approach to how many minutes, hours we're going to pray. You know, we can. This is going to be my witnessing time. We're going to go to Meyer and and just see who God brings across our path and engage them with with His love and pray for whatever needs they have. You know, we. We we look at all the different things that we can order and those are all absolutely wonderful things. But they can become religious things if they are not springing forth from that interpersonal intimacy with him. Relationship, relationship, relationship. It's always about relating with him, being with him, spending time with him, and all these other things will flow out of that. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added. It's amazing how as you spend time in his presence and he starts sharing his heart with you and you spend a little time just listening what that will do to whet your appetite for the scripture what that will do to to when he 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 is talking about something you say oh that's in the book of john and all of a sudden now you dive in and you're and you're searching it out because you're good bereans those in paul's travels those those were the ones that just didn't take everything on so so and so said this was true. So oh okay, it's true. No, they searched the scriptures to make sure what was said to be true was true. Now, if the Lord's the one that's telling you, it's probably true. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. You can probably take that to the bank. But what it does is it 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 brings an excitement inside that says I gotta I gotta read more. And so we pick up the word and we start looking and just mining the riches. This book, when breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, and you invite the Holy Spirit to reveal truth through the word, you're ready for a great experience and encounter with the Lord. This book without the Holy Spirit, you will gain some Bible knowledge but it won't have much effect in changing and transforming your life. Now, I believe in the the Word. I've been a student of the Word, but I've also known the pharisaical side of searching the Scriptures. I've, I've found the Scriptures. I could win arguments. I could fight with the best of them, but there was no life in it, and there was no spiritual growth in it it was all for me so that kind of moves us into what we're going to begin on Wednesday which is emotionally healthy spirituality and what I have for you today to just kind of whet your appetite is just a little top ten of those things that make us emotionally unhealthy spiritually okay You like top 10 lists? Anybody watch ESPN? David Letterman for those old codgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the top 10 list. The basis of this is that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And so on the top 10, the first one is using God to run from God. What's that mean? Glad you asked. <clears throat> when we're using God to run from God, that's when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore difficult areas in my life. God wants to change. Hmm. Anybody ever done that? Some examples: When I do God's work to satisfy me, not Him. Have you ever served someone and it really wasn't for them, it was for you because you feel good after you served them? <laughs> now you gotta understand that there's, there's a dynamic of once you serve someone for the right reason out of intimate relationship with the Lord, there is something that always just is wonderful about that. There's just a wonderful sense of God's approval, His blessing and all. But on the natural realm, there's a whole lot of folks that are just good people doing good things for good people because they like the way it makes them feel. They feel good after they help somebody. Gotta watch that. When I do God's work to satisfy me, not him, when I do things in his name, he never asked me to do. Ooh, anybody done that? Just kind of run on ahead of the Holy Spirit and just start doing whatever's there. And, and, and then when you're done, you realize the Lord never asked you to do that. Huh. When my prayers are really about God doing my will, not my surrendering to His. In Jesus' name. Lord, do my will. When I demonstrate Christian behaviors, so significant people will think well of me. You know, being the pastor, a lot of people will, will see me as someone that they want approval from, and so they'll do all sorts of things to try. And I've seen... Pastors use that position to manipulate people to get them to do all sorts of stuff because you know that they're doing it because they want approval that they didn't get from father, their boss, whoever. And you have to watch that. When we're doing something very significant, it should just be for the Lord. When we're doing it to be seen, I think we got something on the Sermon of the Mount that talks about when we're on the street corners and we're making loud prayers, or we're giving alms to the poor and we're making a big show of it, or when we're fasting and we come out and and we look like death warmed over so that everybody say, what's going on? Oh, fasting for Jesus. Yeah. You know, we, we do these, these things to be seen of men. Now, I love Rick Baumgartner's little phrase, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Sorry, RB. <laughs> but it's like, don't do something just because others are watching. And don't not do something just because others are watching. And when when Rick shared that with me the first time, I thought, oh my, that is so powerful. It just struck a chord in my heart. I say, Lord, sometimes I'll be in worship and I'll feel like the Lord's wanting me to do something, but then I've got that little that little thing inside that you're gonna be like Mary Poppins. And it's just being a little too cheeky. You know, when the mirror tells her, cheeky. Yeah. Oh well. If you haven't watched Mary Poppins lately, you don't, you don't know that. But it's like, okay, don't draw attention to yourself. But at the same time, when you're worshiping, there may be something as you're worshiping and giving expression to the Lord, it may cause others to turn around and look at you. But the motive of your heart wasn't to be noticed. Your, the motive of your heart was to worship. We had an expression of that a couple weeks ago when Ray Combs comes in the sanctuary on Sunday morning and she is shouting out loud a declaration of praise to the Lord. And and guess what? I turned around, I looked at Ray. But she wasn't doing it to be seen. She was doing it as an act of worship. As, a, as almost a prophetic announcement in the spirit realm. Get ready. We're worshiping the living God. I love that. Thanks, Ray. When I focus on certain theological points that are more about my own fears and unresolved issues than God's concern for the truth, I remember in the early days of my evangelical behavior that uh, you got around these charismatics and they were just a little outside the box. And I just wanted to remind them what the apostle Paul said, that everything should be done decently and in order. I really wasn't concerned about the truth. I wasn't comfortable in that environment. So we got to watch how our theology, how we, how we make it so that it fits for our benefit and not God's truth. When I use his truth to judge and devalue others, oh my. Do you see what she's wearing? Oh my stars. Obviously, she needs to get sanctified. <laughs> She needs to have an encounter with uh, <laughs> God. You know, it's like oh. it's amazing how judgmental we are. Does anybody ever struggle with judging others? You know, it's just like oh. yeah, we judge them by their political. We judge them by, <laughs> you know, everything. When I exaggerate my accomplishments for God to subtly compete with others. Now, if you're an evangelist, you really gotta watch this. You know, because you know, if, as, as I talk with with my fellow vineyard pastors as we get together and, and they say, well, how many were at church today? Well, we were just a little under a hundred. Well, we're we're under a hundred. Mm-hmm. But you know, try to look good a little under a hundred. Mm-hmm all the different ways in which we will exaggerate things. Man, there must have been 5,000 that were healed. Really? We've got to be accurate. When I pronounce, the Lord told me I should do this, when the truth is, I think the Lord told me I should do this. Now, that's one of the things I love about the vineyard. Even when we're giving a prophetic word, we always qualify, and we say, I, "I think the Lord's saying this," and and if this doesn't resonate with you, just you know, discard it. Don't you know? So there's always a qualifier. It's not, "Thus saith the Lord, you should do this." You know, and, and heavy-handed, strong. Too. And I, people come to me, and if we're in the counseling setting, and and they're saying, "Well, God told me I needed to do this," well. I'm not going to contradict God. so why are you being so vehement about it? Methinkest thou protesteth too mucheth. <laughs> you know what what's going on here? And it's like, okay, if the Lord told you, it might be a good way in our community and our culture to qualify that with, I think the Lord told me. Now, We've got some seasoned prophetic people, and you know the difference between an impression and when the Lord speaks almost audibly, or possibly audibly, and you know the difference. And we give, her, we give different weights depending on what kind of weightiness the Lord Himself puts on His Word to us. Does that mean you can never say, the Lord told me? No. If, if, if there's a huge weightiness of, of the divine on it, you can go ahead and use that. But if it's not 100% pure, God, you might want to qualify it and just say, I think the Lord said. I love that about the vineyard. <clears throat> when I use scripture to justify the sinful parts of my family, culture and nation, instead of evaluating them under his lordship. Hmm. Sometimes our families are very prejudiced. And we don't even realize it. It's just our normal. That's how we grew up. You know, there's all sorts of different kind of prejudice. Some of us have never dealt with injustice but others have lived in injustice all their lives. Let's be clear on what the Scripture says and not cover up our family stuff, our culture stuff, the nation stuff. Next, when I hide behind God talk, deflecting any spotlight on my inner cracks and becoming defensive about my failures. How you doing today? Blessed. Just blessed. So blessed. My head's killing me. My leg hurts. I didn't sleep very well last night. <laughs> but I'm blessed. <laughs> realizing that okay we, we've got some Christianese jargon that we can use to really hide what's going on with us. And there's a flip side to that not everybody wants to know what's going on with you but when someone is inquiring what's going on with you it'd probably be good to be honest about it. There you got to have a little bit of discernment how you doing? Does that mean how you doing or does that mean, Hi, I just want to greet you. Hope everything's okay. Don't have time to talk. Bye. (laughs) So you're gonna have a little discernment there. When I apply biblical truths selectively, when it suits my purposes, but avoid situations that would require me to make significant life changes. Hmm. don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I say that that sounds rather self-serving because I want everybody here. But sometimes we have to tell ourselves the truth. you know I haven't been wanting to go to home group. I haven't been wanting to participate uh, in returning phone calls from the sisters and the brothers that are calling and make an inquiry. And so I avoid. Watch what we're doing. Watch what we're doing. All of that, and that's just number one. The top ten. Number two on the top ten. Ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Now, I'm not going to break that down in in 20 minutes. We're just going to run through the top ten from here on. I don't want anybody to have a heart attack right now. Just relax, (laughs) relax. But for some of us, You know, if we express these negative emotions, anger, sadness or fear, it's it's almost like, you know, we've lost our joy and we're going to be judged by our religious community and real Christians don't get angry. And so if you're angry, you're not a believer, you need to really repent and get out of that. However, the word anger is associated with God more than any other being in all of Scripture. That tells me that anger is not evil, anger is not wrong. It's how we use anger. What do we do with anger? I think anger is a gift from God for all of us, and it's designed to get us out of our personal pain. Primary pain of hurt, fear, frustration, combination of two or all three, and then we get angry. Anger is a secondary emotion, not a primary. You just don't get angry. You're hurt, you're afraid, you're frustrated, combination, and then anger kicks in. The thing is, how do I steward anger so that it redemptively serves God's purposes in my life? Punching your neighbor is not redemptive. (laughs) Okay, you've crossed the line. The problem with anger is oftentimes when we mishandle anger, we end up being in a place of being judged by God because something that it gave to help us we've used to satisfy just our own revenge number three, dying to the wrong things oh I could spend all day on dying to the wrong things in my early holiness journey I was dying to anything that was fun, anything that was recreational, anything that was good, anything you enjoyed, if you enjoy it it's probably sin and it's like and so it's like We die to the wrong things. I thought, God, I'm going to prove the ultimate love I have for you. I'm going to give up golf. (laughs) And I went for a period of time and I did not play golf because I was holy. I was really holy. And I wanted to impress God with my commitment to holiness and to following Him. And all of a sudden, I just felt like he was laughing. He said, You silly, silly little boy. You know, he says, What happens when you're on the golf course? You see my creation? You see my beauty? You have moments of crisis? Am I going to tell the truth or am I going to hide the truth? nobody saw the ball move you know all those can kind of, he had to let me know that playing golf is okay and then when I heard Billy Graham takes his golf clubs everywhere he goes I felt so validated thank you thank you Billy Graham mm-hmm. number four denying the past impact on the present now this is kind of tricky You gotta watch this one. Because a lot of times we we many of us we we define ourselves by our past. And if the past has been hard and ugly and and evil has touched us in profound ways, and we start to identify ourselves with our past, that's not what we're talking about here as far as emotional healthy, but it's understanding. We have to look at our past so we can understand. Not so we can access blame on mom and dad, so that we can understand this is the environment I was raised in. This was the part of the country. This was the ethnic group. This was the culture that I was raised in. And this still has an effect even after I said yes to Jesus. And I need to understand that because sometimes that is restrictive and the Lord wants us free. And so we have to understand that. So it's a little tricky. Don't let your past define you, but also don't hide it under a rug and pretend like it has no effect on you. I know a good counselor that could help you with that. Number five, dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. Man, there was a time in my life I felt like I was two different people who I was around the church and who I was on the ball field, who I was, you know, at school, who I was when nobody was looking. And it was like, how in the world? The greatest lie of all is that sacred and secular can be separated. It can't. You will take the sacred with you everywhere you go because it's part of who you are. You are created in the image of God and understanding that. that's why the schizophrenic Christian who, you know, behaves one way on Sunday and lives another way uh, the rest of the week. It's like that's not emotionally healthy and it won't bring you to spiritual maturity. Um doing for God instead of being with God. Oh, did we have to put that one up? It's so much easier to do stuff for God sometimes than to spend time with God. Because one of the ways in which the enemy works this against us is what happens if I come and I set apart a a period of time and I'm going to be with God and he doesn't show up. Anybody ever felt like that? I, nobody here, because you guys are all spiritual. But I, I've had that, Lord, I would love to spend an hour with you if you'll show up. And if you're not going to show up, I don't want to waste an hour. You know, I got things to do. And it's like, oh no. Sometimes the hardest lesson of all is learning how to sit and surrender your agenda, your will, and your need to accomplish and be productive and just sit to what it may appear to be absolutely wasting time, but it's not. But the enemy makes us feel like we're wasting time waiting on the Lord. I remember as a teenager, I always wanted to wait on the Lord every time dad wanted me to cut the grass. And I thought, oh, I would like to, but it's my devotional time now, dad, I need to go spend some time with the Lord. We can get pretty manipulative about those things, can't we? Mm Mm-hmm. Spiritualizing away conflict. I remember the early days, I used to invalidate my my precious wife so often because of my own insecurity as a holiness preacher pastor and all this kind of stuff and, and she would come and she would say so and so and she'd say somebody was being mean or and, and you could see that she was angry she says I got so angry at and I said oh honey you're not angry you're a Christian yeah? you're righteously indignant yeah? and and all this kind of stuff. and so we just spiritualize things away and invalidate the reality of where we are. Number eight, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Nobody likes to admit when they're broken and nobody likes to show their weakness. But the inversion of the kingdom is that his strength is shown in our weakness. And so Paul says, I will rejoice in my weakness because then, can, then God can show his strength. Number nine, living without limits, and this is the frenzy of our constant going. This is kind of one of the nice reprieves of the COVID pandemic, is that it stopped our limitless expenditure of energy. You are a human being, and your body requires refreshment. It requires nurture. It requires rest. And if we go, 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 you'll get the plod of the American culture because we're driven by doing and succeeding and accomplishing. But you will burn yourself out. And the Lord wants us to realize that we can't live without limits. And number 10, judging other people's spirituality, their spiritual journey. If those Presbyterians would just have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, they'd know how to lift their hands and really get into worship, you know. uh, Those Roman Catholics, if they just... And so we, we judge others. Do you know we need the spiritual DNA that every denomination carries? Every authentic representation of the body of Christ in every locale. We need the DNA that God has given them. In the vineyard he's given us, it was just, I, I shared this a couple of weeks. Intimate worship is part of the heritage of the vineyard. It was what it was founded on. In the early days, they would just gather in a house and they would sing songs to the Lord, intimately singing love songs to the Lord and his presence would come. And then he's brought to us compassionate healing. Where in the 1950s and earlier, all the healing was about faith. It was total emphasis on faith. And obviously, faith is important to healing. Jesus says your faith has made you well. Faith is very, very significant. But the, the way it got twisted was that if you didn't get healed and I prayed for you, then who's at fault? Whose faith is incomplete? Well, I'm the holy and anointed one, so it must be yours. And so the person that would come for healing and if they didn't get healed, it would get put back onto them that they don't have enough faith. Or if, if I'm the great anointed one, and I live in insecurity and fear, and I say, oh God, I can't, I can't pray for people because I'm not strong enough. I, my healing, every time I pray for healing, they don't get healed. So I'm just such a bad, bad pastor. Then it comes back the other way. The vineyard kind of moved out another fane of seeing that healing comes in the release of the kingdom of God. And that came out of the compassion and love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we pray for one another for healing, we're not praying to assess whose faith has done what. That's why we don't get all, you know, put a picture up here, here's so-and-so, 500 healing miracles, you know, and they're at the gold level of membership. You know, over here, uh, here's little Susie, and she's only got one, but she's a novice, and she no. We we don't look at through who the agent was. We look at who the compassion of Christ was flowing through. We're all responsible to allow the compassion of Christ to flow through us. And out of that, that will get us out of our comfort zone and will get us to where we'll move to someone and we'll pray for them even in public and watch God move. So that's the top 10. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you for the way in which you've moved today. All that you've done all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. We thank you for the chains that have been broken during our singing, our time of being before you. We say, Lord, release again, out of your great compassion, your transforming, your healing, your delivering, your affirming love to each one. We receive that which represents your body, and we say, Lord, we are a member of your body, the body of Christ. And we acknowledge that you are that which sustains our life, and we eat with thanksgiving and in remembrance of you.